0: Hey, everybody, Jimmy Smith. On today's Unlock in the Cage podcast, I'll give you my recap of the biggest storylines from UFC Vegas 36 last Saturday. I'll discuss whether I believe oblique kits should be banned from MMA, and I examine what the future may hold for Darren Till in the UFC. What do you call it, UFC Fight Night 191 or UFC Vegas 36? Who are they numbering these things these days? compelling main event and very interesting fights throughout a lot of different finishes for a lot of different reasons some more gruesome than others but an entertaining card I would say all the way around Patty Pimlet of course uh, making a debut a lot of people were very very interested in uh, Derek Brunson I think has gone from Gatekeeper to now back to elite status, if he ever was at elite status, which is you know a hard thing to determine. We'll talk about that in a minute. Khalil Roundtree, a gruesome win via TKO. Amazing stuff. So, K.O.B., did you see this live or did you see it after?
1: Uh, I saw the main live, the rest after.
0: Yeah, so same thing I did. Same thing I did. What leaps out to me? Uh, Kelly Kel, I know you had a busy weekend. There's a little large march in there. How did your weekend go? Did you, were you able to catch this one live?
2: It was good. I actually won up to both and I watched it start to finish live. Oh, oh, it's like that. Okay. Yep. All right. So now it's, <laughs> now it's a competition.
0: Now it's a competition. I Everything get it. Is. It is. Well, you're about to lose one of them when we go for my pick. So anyway, I'm sorry if everything's competition. So, uh what 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 leapt out to me, there are three stories that are big that um is that is that, that, that most people found interesting. Number one, I'll go in order of, of appearance. Patty Pimlet over Luigi Vendramini. I had Vendramini's coach on, of course, Mark Montoya from Factory X. He sounded confident. Didn't work out great. Patty Pimlet getting a knockout in the first round. Uh, great combination on his shots. Aggressive. Pretty much everything we kind of expected. The interesting thing was, I didn't really get, and if you listen to me before the fight, this is a guy who was three and two in his last five. Solid fighter, much more experienced than most fighters that, that make their UFC debut these days. At, at, he was 16 and three, of course, when he made his UFC debut, 17 and three now. I, I didn't really get a ton of the hype. Yes, he's a good finisher, but we've seen debuts from better guys before. And guys with better records, guys with better everything, who had be- beaten better talent. And maybe I'm old, and that I remember when guys like Anderson Silva made their debut and they were successful in other promotions, Eddie Alvarez, um, even a Michael Chandler champion in Bellator. I- we've seen better guys come to the UFC. So, and also guys with better records. Um, Charles Oliveira came in, I think, 12-0 and at the time. So, I've, I've seen, he did what he needed to do. He got a knock out the first round, but... Jesus, they're acting like the guy is the next big thing and is going to be a champion. I'm not saying that it's impossible. I'm saying slow your roll. Let's wait till he beats somebody with some experience. Let's see how he handles some adversity. Let's see about all these things. Sugar Sean O'Malley, a ton of hype coming into the UFC. Chito Vera uh, derailed that hype. Sure, he's getting it back a bit. That's very, very true. But you're going to have your ups and downs. So, Patty Pimlet, talked his way into a very hyped UFC debut, and he did what he needed to do. He could have done a whole lot better than a first-round knockout, have a lot of people talking about him, but I have more of a wait-and-see attitude about how he's going to actually do, especially at 155 pounds, which, as I am always harping on, is the most talented division right now in the UFC, maybe the most talented in UFC history. So... Uh, What is his ceiling like? We'll discuss that in a minute. But that was a big story. The performance of Paddy, the baddie Pimlet, did do an excellent job in his UFC debut. Khalil, Khalil Roundtree over Modestas Bukowskas with a, with an oblique kick, a kick just above the kneecap at exactly the right time that folded Bukowskas' knee the wrong way. It was gruesome. It was vicious and has a lot of people talking about, and we will discuss it today, whether or not those moves should be uh, illegal. They should be banned from the UFC oblique kicks. John Jones is a big fan of them. He uses them all the time. A lot of fighters use them effectively. Khalil Roundtree hit that oblique kick like he was kicking the door in and he was uh, the lead guy on a SWAT team. Wham! Right in. And Kelly's giving me disgusting face because it's true. And Kelly, you can't deny that. He hit that thing with full force, and it cracked his knee the wrong way. Fair or not in that assessment.
2: It was disgusting. Yes. He even said in his like post-fight, I, I wanted to do that. I was looking for the opening to do that. I was like, I am so grossed out right now. It's not even funny.
0: I'm just curious how it's any grosser than anything else one would do in MMA to win a fight.
2: It just is. I I know it's his whole leg was blown out.
0: Yeah, but, you know, but do you consider doing that any more vicious than knocking somebody out or any other things we have to do? Tearing somebody's knee the wrong way with a submission? Or yes. Like
2: anytime, like, there's a big leg blowout injury like that, it grosses me out much more than a, a knockout of sorts. But here's what. Not that
0: it, yeah, it's, it's viscerally and visually worse. I get that. But is the willingness to do that? And that's going to be part of our talk later about this move. Is it. Is the willingness to do that any worse than the willingness to do anything else to win a fight? Like, knock a guy unconscious and break a jaw and cause brain damage, and all these things that we're totally willing to do. Uh, is the no, willingness don't to so. do that somehow worse? Okay. okay. <clears throat> Pardon me. So to me, that's that's the curious part. Is, you know, people kind of see this and, and to your point, Kelly, that it's viscerally more disgusting. Uh, it it, it bring, gives us the ickies in a way that beating somebody into unconsciousness and maybe hurting their ability to think and reason and and function later on in life isn't as bad and we celebrate that we don't we don't have a a most gruesome injuries highlight dvd for the ufc we have a greatest knockouts right we have a greatest submissions we don't have a greatest injuries because they're seen as somehow kind of out of the pale. Um, I forget who it was, but a couple weeks ago, there was a... Did you catch this, K.O.B., on social media anywhere? There was a, there was like a, a professional grappling match. This dude got reaped so bad. And the guy just went right for it. Just wham, all the way with the heel hook immediately. And there were people going, oh, man, he shouldn't have done that. That was somehow out of bounds. Did you, did you see that? I forget what tournament it was. But something a couple, maybe like a week ago. I did not know. And there was a little debate about, you know, is that okay? He didn't give him time to tap. And my point was, that dude's a professional. That was a professional event. The guys were getting paid. They were both black belts. And you do what you gotta do to win. Period. End of sentence. So the guy's inability to tap in time to save his leg, okay, well, the same patty cake, you're a professional submission grappler in a professional su- submission grappling match. And that's it. And as soon as a guy touches your heel, you can tap immediately. Was there room? No. Was there space? No. Was there time? No. But this is what we do for a living. You're only going to get so much leeway. I feel the same way about this kind of a strike. Cracked him. Right in the oblique. Nailed it. Turned his leg the wrong way. Guess what? You win. It's a vicious sport. It's a vicious sport. Didn't do it after the bell. Didn't throw an illegal strike. His wraps weren't loaded. He wasn't on PEDs. He he didn't break any rules to do what he did. Therefore, it's completely in bounds, And the idea that that should be illegal, a heel hook does just as much damage to the knee, if not more, if wrenched as hard as it can be wrenched. Now, you can tap and stop it. A lot of times, by the time it hurts, it's too late. Period. That's why heel hooks are so vicious. But they can damage you just as badly as that oblique kick. There are a lot of things you can do that F you up. Do I think this one's exceptionally bad? Not really. I mean it's exceptionally gruesome injury, but the strike itself, once again, employed by other fighters, most notably John Jones. And it is what it is. If done hard and at the right time, put you in hospital. But my point is there aren't a lot of moves in MMA that if done hard enough at the right time won't put you in hospital. It's designed that way. It's a tough sport. supposed to hurt somebody as bad as you can. That's essentially the point. So some controversy swirling around Khalil Roundtree versus Bukowskis, but I I think it's much ado about comparatively little. I don't think they should ban that kick. The other one, Derek Brunson versus Darren Till. Is the Darren Till win that big in and of itself? I don't know. This is a guy coming into it. I'm coming into this who was one in three in his last four fights. Of course, the losses: Robert Whitaker, Tyron Woodley, Jorge Masvidal. One of those in a title fight. Of course, the Tyron Woodley fight. So he wasn't losing against scrubs. The guy he beat, Kelvin Gastelum, still considered by many to be an elite 185 pounder. We'll find out a little bit later in the year if he really is. So, one in three going in, in his last four had yet to really find his footing at 185 pounds. I think what stands out is I picked... I know it's going to piss Kelly off. I picked Derek Brunson to win this fight. I did. I didn't think this would be the wipeout that it ended up being. I thought he could control it with his wrestling. I didn't think he'd take him down easily. I didn't think his ground and pound would just be overwhelming, that the first round would be 10-8 to a lot of people. I didn't think we'd see that. I really didn't. So Brunson... Didn't just win, he dominated. Five in a row from him. Darren Till, Kevin Holland, Edmund Shabazi, and Ian Heinish, Elias Theodoro. Five in a row. So it wasn't to me that Darren Till was such a step-up guy. I kind of put Darren Till maybe half a category above Kevin Holland, Edmund Shabazi, and Ian Heinish, Elias Theodoro. He's maybe half a, a level above this. The next level, of course, is the champions, former champions, contenders, top five guys. I wouldn't put Darren Till in there. So i put him a, a half a category above the guys he had just beaten. But it's more the fact that he's peaking right now at age 37. is full of confidence. Those are the important things to me. A win over Darren Till in and of itself, I don't think means that much. Darren Till, his future is a lot clearer in a bad way than Derek Brunson's future. So, a great performance by Derek Brunson. He was clearly the superior fighter. But, I just don't know if he was the level up that, that Derrick Brunson needed to be in elite status or if it's going to take him one more. That's what I'm kind of curious about. Darren Till did not look like an elite middleweight. Period. End of sentence. Did not look like an elite middleweight. Did not look like someone who's gonna break into the top five. Doesn't look like someone's gonna compete for a title, had trouble with the takedown of Derek Brunson, who is good, but you know, shouldn't be that easy. Shouldn't be that easy. Yes, he's an excellent fighter. Shouldn't be that easy. Derek Brunson had his way with Darren Till throughout this fight. And if you want to be up there in the top five, you gotta at least compete with a guy like Derek Brunson, who's who's, I think right now currently fifth. Right there. You gotta at least compete with that guy. Just a preview of my thought process here. Hey, once you accept the fight, once you show up, it's over. You are saying, actually full out of form, that says you're not, and it's perjury if you're lying on it for the athletic commission that says you're not hurt, that says you're in good shape, that says everything's fine. Well, guess what? I take you at your word. I don't want to hear afterward how effed up you were. Hi, everyone, I'm Hall of Fame sportscaster Leslie Visser, and I've got a new podcast, In Conversation, where I'll draw from 45 years of
1: covering the Final Four, the NBA Finals, Wimbledon, the World Series, the Super Bowl, the Olympics. CBS even sent me to the fall of the Berlin Wall. I think you'll enjoy the give and take, so subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts or
0: listen on the SXM app included in most subscriptions. I love my man, John Anik. I really do. I believe that was a bit of a misnomer. I thought it was a little inaccurate what he said. TKO due to leg kicks. That implies he kind of chopped him down with the leg or that, you know, wore him down or maybe hit one big leg kick and that was it. This was an oblique kick. For people who don't know that, it's usually a side kick to not the kneecap itself, but right above the kneecap. And if you hit it, At exactly the right time, when the person has weight on it and the knee is comparatively straight, it will literally break the knee the wrong way. It will cause the knee to fold in the wrong direction. And when that happens, needless to say, fight is over. So, it's as close to... uh, uh, I mean... I don't want to say it's an injury TKO because that, that's a little bit of a, a misstatement, I suppose, because you're injured from a completely legal strike, which is like saying punching somebody in the jaw and they break their jaw, that's an injury. Well, kind of, but it's brought on by a completely legal strike. So I thought John was a little off there because it was just one shot. It wasn't a leg kick TKO. It was from one leg kick, and it was a a gruesome sight to see. So, the talk we're hearing now is, should that strike be banned because of the devastating consequences of it going right? I want to make that abundantly clear. That strike worked exactly the way it was supposed to. Its intended effect is to do that or something like that. And you constantly worrying about that happening keeps you from moving forward and straightening your leg. John Jones uses this with deadly precision. And what it does most of the time, he's never had a finish like this, but it gets you worried about it all the time. You're worried about your kneecap getting kicked the wrong way. And when you do, that's it. You can't really mount an offense that's worth anything. So... The guy does this with regularity, John Jones. But this is the first time we've seen a a a grievous injury because of it. Uh, but what did Modestas Bukowskas have to say about that? This is from his stories, uh, I believe, on Instagram. He, he put it on his Twitter. Getting MRI when I get home, probably ligament damage. And yo, please give my opponent some slack. That kick was all good. It was my job to defend, and I didn't. Let the man enjoy his victory. First off, class move by Modestas Bukowskas. Class move by a real mixed martial artist and fighter. Hey, my job to defend that. I didn't. I paid the price. And that's it. He didn't hang on to a submission too long. He didn't use an illegal strike. He did what he needed to do to win. It's my job to not be in that position. Hats off to him. First off, I want to give the dude some credit for coming out and saying that. Step up move. Step up move. Am I wrong, KOB? Friend McQuallum, hey, look, hey, my job to defend. Get off this guy's back.
1: I I endorse it and I enjoy it.
0: I do. I, I approve. That's a KOB seal of approval, does it not? Sweet. Anyway, so there's that. So I, I do believe that for sure. For sure so the the as though it's 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 viscerally and visually worse than a lot of of submissions and or knockouts we see getting seeing someone's leg kicked the wrong way but my argument would be i've done real damage with heel hooks in my career too i've used some submissions that have torn guys up man i really have and they all had the opportunity to tap and the ones that didn't got hurt torn some ACLs, I've torn some NCLs, rift some meniscuses, I've done it. It's part of what we do. And I don't, although it's, it's, it's I guess, viscerally more disturbing, you tap late to a heel, basically the same thing happens. A lot of ligament damage. A lot of ligament damage. You don't tap to a knee bar in time. A lot of ligament damage. So the fact that we don't think twice about these submissions that target the knees and target the ligaments and target the leg, and yet a strike that targets that same area is somehow off limits, that I don't get. That I don't get. Because maybe it's a little more in our face when a knee just folds the wrong way or something like that, but the damage is the same. We're not playing, this isn't chess here. This is a real tough physical sport, and you got to be prepared for it. KOB, is there any problem with my argument that you see?
1: I see much worse submissions, honestly. It, that was pretty much my exact thought. It's like, yeah, I know to some people it almost feels cheap. I think that's the problem because it's a strike, but it's like the same idea. Like, oh, we're worried about knees? I guess no more heel hooks. No more right, knee bars. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you know what? You know we gotta worry about people's elbows too, so they can throw. So no kamuras, you know, n- none of that either. And we don't. Why don't we just take elbows out too? Just you know, we, people could get cut. It, it could be dangerous, Jimmy. Like let's just take that out as well. Like you, it's a slippery slope once you start getting rid of one.
0: And, and to your point, um, a lot of people consider cuts with elbows cheap. Like someone got cut. Oh, like it's not r- a real win. Uh, like, you know? Hard, number one, that's exactly what it's supposed to do. An elbow that's thrown well and the timing's good, will cut you. That's what they're designed to do. So people seeing that as some kind of cop, I, I don't get that at all. It's not cheap. That, that's what an elbow's supposed to do. That's why they've been perfecting those in Thailand forever. Because that's what they do. Um. And so I think it'll all calm down. I think at the end of the day, nothing will really happen. I don't believe that The athletic commissions believe this this strike is really that uh, devastating. I think it was devastating in this instance. But I also believe it was kind of an imperfect storm. I happen to agree with KOB that it's a matter of slippery slope. We're asking these athletes to do almost everything you would do in a street fight with a couple little exceptions. And the way I describe MMA to people who don't know a lot about it or don't get the concept about it or or why it's different or better, in, in my opinion, is the way I see it is it's as close to a street fight as you can possibly get without me smashing a bottle over your face. I know that's a little rough. Me smashing your face into concrete or something like that. It's as close as we can get in a regulated environment to a street fight. In that vein, I think as many things should be legal as possible. Unless something is devastating, I think the 12 to 6 elbow rule is stupid. I think it's absolutely dumb, and should, there shouldn't be any rule against that. Uh, I do believe the strikes to the back of the head shouldn't exist. Eyes, fish hooking, groin strikes. To me, that's about it. I didn't mind Pride with the stomping and the kneeing and the kicking of a downed opponent. That didn't bother me. Don't leave your head in that position. Guys move down there. If you watch Pride, they would take a shot. If they messed up, they'd move their ass because they didn't want to stay down there and get kicked. So I think we should have as few rules as possible because what we're essentially trying to do is simulate a real fight. And you can't do that banning a bunch of stuff. It won't work. People will see right through it. And I don't think, in the long run, that's good for the sport. I do not. So, oblique kicks, I'm okay with them. Soccer kicks, knees on the ground, I'm okay with that too. I didn't mind pride rules. And
1: KOB's kind of meh, meh, meh. You didn't like them? You did like them? Uh, Here's the thing. I'm with you on 12 to 6 elbows. I'm fine with knees to grounded opponents. Because yeah. if you can get him in a position, you can start throwing knees. I feel like that that's still part of technique. I don't like the stomping and I don't like the the soccer kicks. It just feels very it's like it's just a vic- visceral thing, right? It's it's like to me that's not really technique. That's like it's it's basically street fight. Like it reminds me of that point in the street fight where the guy's down already, and then some other person just runs and kicks the guy. In the- like dude, like that was that was cheap. Like <laughs> I don't like there's there's no talent or skill to that. I don't like that one. Everything else I'm cool with. Like the knees are down to down opponents, twelve to six elbows. I think it all should be legal. It's just the, the stomping and soccer kicks. It just feels like, duh, come on, dude. <laughs> Vanderlei's so good at those. He was Vanderlei the... would just make you hate life. I go back to I forget who Roger Huerta fought. I think it was in one, and he got soccer kicked, and it was just like it was very yeah, clear. The Brazilian cat, like the ref, ref, ref should have yeah. just stopped it, and it was like it was very clear Huerta had nothing left, and he was just and even the guy kind of looked at the ref like, "You gonna stop it? No, all right." And then did that soccer kid was like, oh, that was like unnecessary. <laughs> like it just felt I know that's one specific instance where it was really bad, but it's like, I just don't dig it. I ju- it just feels like super cheap in Street Fight. Like last second the guy was already down cheap to me. Vanderlei crushed guys in pride. Oh, if you didn't see that
0: live It was something to watch. As soon as you got down, Vanderlei beat the dog piss out of you. And one of the reasons I believe he was never great in the UFC, partly he was old, partly they don't test in pride, let's be honest. But uh, the other thing was that his soccer kicks were gone. He couldn't kick guys when they were down, and it really affected his game.
1: Hey, everyone, it's Brad the Big Noise Evans from the Feed the Noise podcast. From Monday through Friday, catch me in the good sir, Nate Lundy, as we take you through each day's best sports betting opportunities. Whether we're talking spreads, totals, props, or anything else, we will do our Fade 5 to give you the knowledge and confidence to place your bets. Always remember, feed or follow, that's up to you. Subscribe today wherever we you get your podcasts, or listen on the SXM app,
0: free for most subscribers. The future for Darren Till. Before I get into that, Kelly Kel, you, lo- you love you some Darren Till, yeah? What do you do. love about some Darren Till?
2: Like, I just love his interviews, his personality. It doesn't hurt that he's an attractive man, but it does I just, not hurt
0: that he is super duper hot, yeah?
2: He's like the full package. Like, he's funny, and I don't know, there's something about him that's charming, and he's just kind of weird, which is like makes him funnier.
0: Oh, that's adorable, isn't it? And now if he won fights, would that be that put him over the top?
2: I mean, yeah, that'd be great. (laughs) I mean,
0: (laughs) if he could win a fight, that would be fantastic, because right now, that's not happening. I like Darren Till as well. I really do. I really do. Um, The issue, though, is that he is on a slide right now. He has won one out of his last five fights, one in four in his last five, and Not just the idea that he is losing, he is losing in devastating fashion. The last time out, of course, last Saturday to Derek Brunson, where he got owned in round one. Round two wasn't a whole lot better and finished in round three against a guy who may be breaking into that elite status. Certainly could be, but we don't know if he's there yet. He lost to Tyron Woodley, Darren Till, lost to Tyron Woodley, Jorge Masvidal, beat Kelvin Gaslam in a very close fight, lost to Robert Whitaker, and then Derek Brunson. Somebody, I think, was it Dan Hardy? I don't want to misquote here, but somebody big in the MMA community, it's funny, said he should be 0-6. That They believe he lost to Stephen Thompson. I thought he lost to Stephen Thompson. I did. Uh, they believe he lost to Kelvin Gaslam. He should have lost his last six. I thought he beat Kelvin Gaslam, but I did think that Stephen Thompson beat him. I thought that was kind of a hometown decision. So where does he go at this point? He's lost four out of his last five, two and one at middleweight, but he is getting some love. He is getting some support. Charles Oliveira tweeted, keep your head up. Never give up. God knows everything. Return home, get back to the gym, train and dedicated yourself. Hey Darren Till, we're here, my man. If you need our support, let's train together. Very, very nice sentiment from Charles Oliveira. And then he had a picture of himself and Michael Bisping. And uh, no, I'm sorry, he didn't. He retweeted this. This is from ESPN MMA. Uh, Darren Till posted a picture of two fighters who never gave up in their championship dreams, it was Michael Bisping and Charles Oliveira. So Oliveira, essentially, responding to this. Uh okay. Yeah. Uh but there's more to this. There's more to this story. Bisbing on BT Sports talking about an injury Bisby Bisbing uh that Till had going into the uh Brunson fight. Let's hear it.
3: Went backstage to see Darren after the fight. He was very disappointed, of course, you know, but he was a man, he was holding it together. Uh, but he was frustrated, you know, and, and understandably so. But I spent about 30 minutes with him in the bathroom and Carl and Heron just, just talking to him and giving him some advice. Uh, and perhaps I'm breaking guy code here, but you know, there was an injury coming into that fight. He tore his ACL about 10 weeks ago and he never mentioned it. But listen, you know, it's an excuse, it's a reason, whatever you want to call it. He never mentioned it, and I'm sure Derek had, had problems as well. But certainly with that kind of injury, uh, and he said, you know, he was having all kinds of medical treatment leading up to the fight. So, of course, with that injury, that will have hampered his performance. But still, you can't take away from Derek Brunson on that night. Darren chose to step in.
0: Uh, I don't like that at all. I really don't like that. I don't. I like Bisping a lot, by the way. We get along very, very well. Uh, Great guy to work with. He's a lot of fun. Really respect his opinions about MMA. I wouldn't talk about someone else's injuries if they didn't talk about it. That is a violation. I'm not the man code, but as a fighter, hey, whoa. I don't want people knowing that my AC... And then it makes him look like he's making excuses through... First off, make it look like he's making excuses through Michael Bisping, where oh, he told Michael knowing Michael would tell everybody and that therefore he could make excuses and kind of, you know, look better than he was. I don't believe he did that, but people are going to say that. And then also, maybe he didn't want everybody knowing that, Mike, and maybe that's why he didn't say anything. So the idea that he came out and said that, because there are two ways it could go. Either Darren Till said, you can go ahead and tell people, which makes it kind of an excuse, or... He didn't tell him to tell people, in which case that was said in some confidence, and you don't want to reveal that. KOB, I'm out of my mind here, but I, I'm not comfortable at all with, with a fighter telling you he was injured going into a fight, and you go out and saying it. I, I wouldn't do that.
1: No, I kind of feel the same way. Like, yeah. that, that's, if, if Darren Till is going to reveal it, period, that might be he gets another fight, maybe he drops away, clashing like that, and he's getting ready, and they're like, oh, you know, you didn't look good, and then maybe you reveal it then. But if he didn't reveal it already, I think that's up to Darren Till to say, yeah, I had a knee injury going in.
0: Right, you don't want somebody making excuses for you. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I don't, I don't like that at all. I don't like that at all. So, just it just is what it is to me. But I, I wouldn't do that. So, remember, two of those losses in uh, the four in his last five were at welterweight, at 170 pounds. Tyron Woodley and Jorge Masvidal could a move back down to 170 reinvigorate Darren Till's career. Hmm. This is what Bisping had to say about that.
3: The striking's is his bread and butter. He's done that his entire life. That's never going to dip. That's always going to be there. And a few sessions back in the gym, he can get sharp again. But I would say take six months, work on the grappling, come back, maybe a change of weight classes as well. I'm not sure about that. Now, I, we know making 170 was very hard for him, but still, I think we saw a difference in strength there compared with him and Brunson.
0: Can't argue with that. And when you are striking and you're suddenly up against some really good wrestlers at a different weight class, that's when that strength disparity is so evident. You can outstrike a heavier guy. You can outstrike a bigger guy. You can outstrike a stronger guy and never notice the difference because you're moving well, you're, you're picking them apart, whatever you're doing. As soon as he gets his hands on you, That's when you realize, oh, there's a big difference here when you start wrestling, guys. Now, Tyron Woodley took him down at will when he lost to him in his shot at the 170-pound title. And this was a pre-shot Tyron Woodley. All-American wrestler, very strong at 170 pounds, great athlete. And to me, that was that was an indication of the trouble he would have at 185 pounds. Should have beaten Horry Masvidal, got clipped, got knocked out, even though he hurt Masvidal. I just wonder if a guy who was having trouble making it already, who has tasted 185, who has tasted not having to make that cut, who has tasted, wow, what life is like when you're not killing yourself to make 170, I don't know if he can go back. Always, Always had trouble with it. Had trouble with it when he was making it at 170. So the fact that he's tasted this, hey man, getting to be a lot bigger is nice. I don't know if his body will go back. It gets harder as you get older. And it usually gets more difficult when your body has had an adjustment and is able to move up. For the boxing historians here, the the end of Roy Jones Jr. was when he went up to heavyweight to take on John Ruiz, beat him, and then went back down to light heavyweight, which is 175 in boxing, and his body didn't handle the yo-yo and weight well. When he went back down to 175 and he took on Antonio Tarver, guy I have worked with and know very well, he got knocked out. Didn't look the same. Wasn't the same guy. His body couldn't handle the yo-yoing up and down and weight. And it is difficult as you get older to do that. His age was different. Right? He was older than Darren Till, but still, it was an issue. And I just don't know if you can go from one to the other. I don't know if you can spend time at 185 and then go, okay, well, I'll go back down to 170. You already had trouble doing it. Already had trouble. I don't know if he can do it again. I don't know. What do you think, Caleb? He he can get back down to 170? Think it's even a possibility?
1: (sighs) He was a big welterweight when he got down there. So I'd like to think with the right nutritionist, he could. I don't know how much body fat he's working with. He didn't exactly look like he was shredded at middleweight, so I think he's got some room and he's made it before. So you might just have to hire a nutritionist and just figure out the right way to do it. It's funny when we were talking about guys who were tweeners, like we had that kind. I think it was last week. I don't think Darren right. Till came up, but he's probably one of those guys, a little bit too big for 170, but not quite big enough for 185. And it's funny, man. Like I believe he can make it to 170. I think that's the better weight class for him. Cause I think I think Bisping was right. I, I, I just think some of these middle weights are just a little too little too big for him. And I don't know if he can handle, it. especially if you have some grappling deficiencies. Like if they're just stronger than you, man, they're gonna take you down easy. So, yeah, I, I know there's better wrestlers probably at welterweight, weight, but I still think it's the better weight class. Your striking probably goes a little bit longer and, and in your range at that weight class.
0: The problem I have with Bisping's advice, not that it's bad advice, when he said, hey, spend six months, see what you can do with your, your grappling, this guy's been in MMA for a long time. He is not a spring chicken. 28 is not old, but it's not young either. He's been in this since 2013. And when you look at it that way, it's very, very rare that a fighter goes from grappling deficiencies at this stage in his career to, wow, suddenly being able to stop a takedown. Suddenly being able to go toe-to-toe with wrestlers and know how to deal with the range and know how to deal with the takedown and know how to deal with everything. I don't know about that. I really don't. With this, at this age, with that experience level, does he really change? Does he really get where he needs to be in six months of training? It's not as though this guy has been... Uh, is new to MMA. It's not as though he hasn't been in this for a long time. It's not as though he hasn't been successful at the elite level. None of that's true. None of that's true. So I don't know what you're going to do with six months left that's going to change anything. I don't know what you're going to do with a different um, camp that's going to change everything. I don't think anything. I really don't. 170 or bust is pretty much the deal now. 170 or bust. Because 185, I don't believe he can make any adjustments. They're gonna get him there that he hasn't made in the last what? Coming up on ten years? I don't believe I don't believe there's a stylistic adjustment he can make. It's switch teams, change weight class. That's about it. I don't think new training is going to do it. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the Sirius XM podcast network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Merck. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.